my journey was about fixing the problem and then realizing how we can make it better and how do we refine it to become even better again. And that's what I love about this whole product and what we're doing now is it's got us to a point whereby everything we do from this point forward is all about the sustainable focus and it's about the eco benefit as well. So we've got ourselves to a point now whereby whatever we do in the future, I've made a conscious decision that we try and eradicate plastics completely out of any category that we go and tackle. Welcome back to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. I'm Joy and today Lyle and I are chatting to James Dutton, founder of Patch Strips, the company making natural and importantly, compostable wound care solutions. Now, what exactly do we mean by wound care? Well, we mean plasters, those little strips of sticky material that you pop onto a cut or a graze. And like us, you've probably never considered how wasteful these little things are. So just wait until you hear the scary stats on these. Needless to say, it's pretty exciting to have plasters that we can literally throw into our worm bin once we're done with them. In this discussion with James, we cover how this idea developed, a lot more detail on the actual patch strips, how James plans to expand the product range, and thoughts on running a sustainable business, including going through the B Corp process. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode, including all the relevant links over at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now, let's get talking next generation wound care with James Dutton. James, very big welcome to you, to our show and our home. Thank it's you a very pleasure much. to have you here. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with your background. Where did you? Where were you born, and where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Melbourne. I was born in uh, in Hawthorne in uh, in Melbourne. Went to a Scotch college in Melbourne. Left there in, at the age of sixteen. Went off and did a building apprenticeship. Uh, at the time, I started working with a fantastic company at the state at that early stage of my life called JB Hi-Fi. And in the early days, it was a lot of fun. A lot of uh, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of uh, excitement in, in, wor in work and business and making money and, uh, and went, went through a long, long stay uh, there and then left that and finished my apprenticeship and went into the family business, uh, which is the Dutton Sporting Cars business and grew myself up through there and then started a, a couple of other businesses. I had a couple of failures along the way. Um, <laughs> What not to do in business was what I learned there. It was probably the best MBA you could ever do. But pulled myself through them and uh, took took myself to the point whereby I'd had a wife and two uh, at the time firstborn child, and then I had a second boy, and we moved down the coast in Mount Eliza oh, in nice. Melbourne uh, with them. And then all of a sudden, two months after that, when I was having a bit of time out with my wife and my two boys, uh, my youngest son had a reaction to a product that I pulled out of the cupboard at home, and that's where the journey starts. So was that your first sort of exposure to, you know, thinking about the world of sustainability and thinking about those types of things or was there was the interest there for a while before? Um, the interest probably started with my wife and her family. Um, right. My wife uh, has been involved uh, producing a product called uh, Jack Organics, making baby wipes made from bamboo fibre. She started making that uh, with her two sisters, so it was Gemma. Alicia and Carissa, which hence the name Jack. So they were using bamboo fibre for their products and we simply had quite a few rolls of the bamboo fibre at home when this incident occurred. And um, she was the one that was obviously working in that space very heavily. Ultimately, the whole thing wasn't about sustainability at that stage for me and, and don't want to shock anybody by hearing that, um, <laughs> especially on your podcast. But it was about fixing a problem. My son had a serious irritation to a product. Um, it blistered his skin and then I tore the skin off with it. And I couldn't put solvents on it to stop it from sticking. So I had to literally pull it off with him screaming. That was a big point as far as what was wrong with him or what happened with him with the, the adhesion. Then he kept on re reacting to uh, other products that I, I tried. I tried different silicon-based products and all that sort of thing. So I, I just went in there with a normal mindset about how do I fix this problem for him? It wasn't really into into the eco-focused area. But as I tried to find what was wrong with him, I was looking into more and more research around what was the situation and where it came from. And everything was pointing back to the same thing. There was irritations from adhesives on the skin type. And from my side, I started seeing the numbers and it was about 20%, coming up to 22% of the market. And that was from university studies on different componentry. 
And I thought, geez, that's a pretty big number. If you start adding it up to 7.2 million people in the world and you've got these, these numbers, it's starting to look like a very serious number of the world. So Alicia had bamboo fiber sitting in the house and we started mixing up different adhesions made from all sorts of things initially, from beadwax, from, from saps and all sorts of things to try and find out what we could actually use. Um, by making it out of the bamboo fiber and the type of bamboo fiber that we farmed to make the product, uh, it was all about keeping it in line with the organic title um, and keeping it natural. And from my side was, okay, well, we've got something that's pretty natural and how to you know, obviously get it to market. So we went through all the process, the regulatory checks to get it up to where we got it. But then we released our first product, uh, which we've got right in front of us here, <laughs> um, which we had to have a biodegradable film, which is a very light cellite. Um, so it's basically a very, it's a minimal amount of plastics that are in the, in the environment. And the, the whole purpose behind that was to keep it sterile for the release. And as I, um, as I went along and, uh, and looked into um, different ways that we can actually produce the product and get it commercialized, we had the argument with the various regulatory commands that make sure that we had to have that piece there to make it sterile and do that process. Um, and then from there, it's now gone into a, a real big eco-focus and sustainable focus about what we do. And we've completely removed all plastics out of the product from the packaging through to the actual physical product, uh, which makes it the, it's a world first medical device that's got plastic, completely plastic free. Um, so my journey was about fixing the problem and then realizing how we can make it better and how do we refine it to become even better again. And that's what I love about this whole product and what we're doing now is it's got us to a point whereby everything we do from this point forward is all about the sustainable focus and it's about the eco benefit as well. So we've got ourselves to a point now whereby whatever we do in the future, I've made a conscious decision that we are trying to eradicate plastics completely out of any category that we go and tackle. We've got future products that are coming into multiple categories that will shape shift and change the way that everybody thinks about these things. And we want to be disruptive, we want to have a bit of fun with it and, and make eco not so much a left field decision for a lot of people and make it more mainstream. So I'm trying to take it into it's, uh, that next movement stage of making people really, who don't really think about it, to have a product that works just as good if not better and it's got that footprint that we don't have any, any footprint left in the soil at the end of our use. Because I can't control what you do with my product when you buy it. So from my perspective, if I've got something that completely composts in the soil and breaks down on its own accord, I don't care what you do with it. It's a brilliant business to have because you've got no, the, the eth efficacy about what we do is very, very strong. Um, it means we don't have an impact on the environment, but it's also too, um, takes it back to the steps of how do we start from scratch and build, pardon the pun, but how do we build a product like a wound care item and make it sustainable and also be, be all the way through mission driven um, on our focus about our goals. So. so I just want to step it back a little bit. So this wound care solution that you've created is called Patch. Patch, that's right. right. And I understand you have four different types of varieties. I yep. wonder if you can give us a little bit of a background on each and who would, who would they suit? Yeah, well, um, the whole reason why we, we developed four different types um, was because my eldest son used to run away screaming if I brought out antiseptic ointments. So when we were making this product up for Charlie initially, and the market obviously that we saw the size for, we realized that we're gonna be just another product on the shelf that's mimicking what's already there. So we might've had a, a sensitive aspect or a um, hydrochloride type dressing solution for sensitive skin types. But what we've got is we've actually got a product that's quite unique and different, but we've got to make it even more different because we need to stand out, we need to be have that point of difference from everybody else. So we developed four different types. We developed a pure bamboo product, which is just bamboo fibre and bamboo gauze. And then we developed a coconut oil addition product to the children's product, uh, which has got a coconut oil um, percentage into the gauze on the product. So coconut oil is, is known, we don't make any medical claims about these because we're a class one device, but when it comes down to coconut oil, it's, it's tried and tested in, in various different countries around the world. And it's a fantastic uh, componentry just to soothe grazers or sunburns. And so we thought that's a fantastic thing for cuts and grazers for, for or abrasions and grazers for kids. Is that the one with the pandas on the, it? The pandas. Yeah, the pandas yeah I like that the, one. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you another story about the pandas. Um, but 
that was the, that was designed for the kids and obviously with the pandas everywhere and then we developed an aloe vera product um, so we extract the um, aloe vera uh, from the inner leaf and also the gel um, so it's the most potent part of the aloe vera plant uh, and we basically have that embedded into the gauze and that's for burns and blisters uh, it's another soothing type product but it actually works on a, on a on a lot larger scale for even people, some people do have allergens towards coconut oil. So we have to appeal to the full market wherever we can. And then we've developed a cool black product which is called the activated charcoal product. So we actually use the offcuts and the refined parts of the bamboo fiber that we don't use in, in the bandage production. And that gets charcoal down uh, with distilled water and made into a gauze. Um, normally it's coconut shell as far as a, um, an activated charcoal powder, um, but the, our product is the bamboo fiber. Mm. And what that product is an amazing, uh, activated charcoal has been used in surgery for centuries and they use it to eradicate toxins and poison from the bloodstream or from the stomach. Um, and it's like a sponge when you put it onto a, a wound type. So if you've got a typical redness wound or a, a bite or a splinter, uh, we've even got people that have commented commented on the on the web or on social media about how it's drawn splinters out with no ointment, and we've got a case study on our website about a spider bite where it actually subsided all of the sting out of the bite um, and healed the wound over in ten days on a white tail spider for Australia, which is wow. pretty pretty amazing. It's a nasty spider. They're, <laughs> not, they're nasty, <laughs> and they normally last for a long time. So she did that under medical supervision for ten days and. It completely sealed it over and took all the sting out of the arm and within 24, 48 hours. Wow. It's I mean, the, 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 the coconut activated charcoal, those are very much in vogue ingredients. And they're, they're natural. They're a component that everybody can, um, everybody's used or they'll trial. Um, it's only since we've had the coconut oil, we've realized that there is a percentage of the market that are allergic to coconut oil. Um, so we've been working furthermore into using silvers into the new products that we've got developed mm. at the moment. Uh, we've got a Manuka product possibly coming out. Uh, we're trying to decide whether we actually go with the Manuka honey or the Manuka oil. Manuka oil is obviously a tea tree component, uh, but as we go to Manuka honey, we lose the vegan stamp off yes. the, yeah, the product. Yep. Um, yep. So it's a large portion of the market that's growing. So we would still love to keep the whole product range vegan friendly and animal free and animal free of any derivatives in, in the products. Because is your wife a vegan? No, no uh, she's, she's, not. she's sort of on and off. Okay, um, right. Flexitarian. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah, flexitarians, yeah. Yep. Um, uh, her sister's are, uh, into raw veganism. Um, her mother's a vegan. Pretty much the whole family, the whole family eats really quite well. I mean, we all eat really well. Um, uh, but we sort of drift in and out. We are the sort of that floating type mm. that, yep. It sort of buckles us every now and then. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say that we can be completely free at one stage, but it's um, I think it's a lot a of people yeah. sit in that bucket. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the diet these days, when you look at what you can eat, that I don't like the, the, the fake meats and the, mm. I, I prefer just to have a really nice mushroom you know, mm. and yep. not think I'm eating a fake well, foam meat or anything like that. Yeah. And even when they th make things taste like certain things, I'm not a big fan of that. I prefer to obviously just have a nice salad or a, or a steamed veggie plate. Um, but you know, there's so much diverse diet out there these days that you can actually have a really amazing lifestyle without touching the meat. So a lot of our time is, is pretty much meat free these days. Yeah, 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 yeah. pretty much the same. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, absolutely. Um, so you also just mentioned the biodegradable versus the compostable mm -hmm. nature of the wound care solution. Yep. So can you just run us, th run us through that again? Because I understand your product wasn't always completely compostable, but now it is. No, yeah, and one of the things is they, they we, we harped on the point of uh, the biodegradable um, was a big positive for us is the fact we've actually got a biodegradable wound care solution because everything else on the market to date has got plastics or latexes or uh, rayons or toxins in the actual adhesion on the skin. Not one brand does it in one way. It's, com it's a com combination of the whole industry. So you can't go finger pointing at other brands. It's not what we're about. But from our side, we've got to make a conscious decision to make it, in my mind, everything we do now is compostable. The difference between biodegradable and compostable is a massive talking point. It's, they've done very, very well with marketing a biodegradable brand name. Um, what, what does it mean? Okay, so biodegradable, <laughs> um, Effectively, mostly anyone can do the research on it. Biodegradable means it will actually physically break down in a commercial bin. 
in a biodegradable bins environment. Like in landfill. Like in landfill, right? right? So it will break down in landfill. As far as compostable means, and there's two types of compostable too, but compostable means that if it's a compostable product, it will break down in the soil. So uh, we could chuck it in our womb farm out the back, yeah. No, so that's the second type of oh, compostable. Okay. Right. So the second type of compostable, which is vermisol. So vermisol right. means that yes, you can put it in a worm farm and the worms will eat it and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, gotcha. and process it through. Our product is vermisol. So mm-hmm. you can put it in a worm farm, you can, it's not going to affect the worms in any shape or form. We're using a bamboo fibre, which is cold uh, stone milled as well. So there's no toxins or bleaches put into the product at the, at the farming stage. Uh, and on the way through the production, as far as our prints and everything else, it's all uh, vegetable dye. So Happy worms. Uh, yeah, so it's happy <laughs> worms and they might turn... I'm like, they wouldn't go to the disco after that. <laughs> but yeah, no, as far as from our side, we do everything on that point to be at a very, very sustainable level for, for growth. There was, there was a few challenges though, right? Totally, Getting yeah. A, yeah. What, what, regulatory, did you mention? Um, so, I mean, various different regulatory. So we're a class one medical device. So we're, we're at a stage one whereby we're not allowed to make any claims on the, on the actual physical additions to what we've got on the product. We can only suggest things on the product. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes down to various different regulatory control such as the TGA or the FDA for the US, CE certified for Europe and MedSafe in New Zealand and uh, HSA in Singapore. I mean, you keep on going. It's it's quite a challenge to get through all of the, the gates, uh, but we've done it. Uh, we did it in a very short period of time uh, because we, I didn't ever think that a wound care product like a superficial wound covering would be a class one device. Neither would I. I mean, no. what, are, what are other products in a class one device? Give uh, us an example. It's very much a non-claimed pro, uh, provoking uh, product. So uh, a medical dressing, um, a uh, skin treatment, um, anything that doesn't permeate into the skin or you don't make any claims around it, that's basically what a class one means. So, mm-hmm. but effectively you're still regulatory proof and testings and mm. making the product in a sustainable, or not in their mind, not a sustainable way, but in a sterile environment and processing the product in the format whereby it does become a, a clean product for people to put it on the skin. I didn't realize in the beginning, but you know when the, um, there's products on the market that, ha- that come in rolls and you cut the roll off and you stick it on your skin, mm. no, they're not sterile. Oh, yeah. So you're putting a non-sterile wound dressing on a wound. So you're putting a non-sterile, you cut, well, when you think about it, you cut them with a blunt pair of scissors out of the kitchen drawer. It's been, you know, probably cutting open anything from dog food to anything <laughs> the day before, and you're putting that on your skin. So it's not sterile. That's what Joy uses for her yeah, yeah. sports tape. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wouldn't bother me. I'm sure it's but pretty good on, for you. In a, in a sports tape scenario, that's fine. But in, in an environment whereby it's going to an open wound type, mm. It opens up a whole can of worms when it comes down to a questionable solution for people. So we all, and the only reason why I found that out was because we're thinking about going down the path of making like a long strip you could cut off or tear off and do that sort of thing. Uh, but we started seeing that the fact it wasn't sterile and then it, we, you know, from the path that we went down the beginning, it was no point in actually going back. I see. Um, so uh, with the product themselves there, the feedback we get day in day out is a phenomenal feedback. It's it's one of those businesses whereby you'd at least get one person in the world who've reached out and said thank you. It's a really awesome, awesome business to be a part of. Not in the space of uh, any of our environmental footprint, but comes back in the space that their child can't wear adhesives on their skin because they irritate, they blister, and so forth. And now they're using our product and it doesn't react. Um, children's allergies have tripled in the last ten years. You know, you look at the landscape about GMO foods and what's going on and topical debates about the whole landscape about what we do in day in, day out, what we eat and how we, how we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's getting to a scary point. So I think it's, it's great that we can, we've established a company that's co- it's focused in that space to, to concentrate on making more ethical products for the, land, for the environment, for the consumer and, uh, and for the retail shelf. Uh, because we have got a world first with the product now whereby you can buy it off the shelf and bury it straight in the soil. Um, I'd love to see other brands, other solutions and in different categories follow our trend. And, you know, if we all did that a little in a little bit of a way, you've actually got a really cool world. Yeah, you've it's, got a, you're changing the game. That's, yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah. And I, I just remember reading a, a quote or a statistic, sorry, that if every household in Australia purchased one packet of Band-Aids, it would equate to about 
80,000, just about 80,000 square meters of plastic waste, which is enough to cover the MCG surface three and a half times over. Just for the international listeners, that's the Melbourne Cricket Grounds, Holds about 110,000 people. Ready for some more scary stats than that. <laughs> Let, I, I wanna, yeah. I wanna, I, first of all, can you give us a quick summary of the impact that Patch has made on that environmental waste? How many units are you selling? And of um, course, give us your other statistics. <laughs> we want to be scared. Yeah. Um, I haven't done the final numbers on this year, but we've grown quite dramatically uh, from the first year that we started. Um, so we're in year two now. Uh, uh, where are we sitting at? We're just, just under $5 million in sales uh, around the world. So we haven't done the actual full count back on the numbers of product that we've sold. But, um, That's a lot of plastic saved. It's a lot of plastic saved. That, that is an amazing it, impact. Right? So, um, but the whole thing about it is, is that that little stat you've got there is based on the Australian number. On the US sales data, that where we're operating pretty heavily at the moment, this is just in the US alone. And this is just from places like um, pharmacy, retail grocery, and not really health food. Maybe a little bit of a health food grocer, just those retailers. Not hospital, not um, offices, nowhere else. This is just that market space. Um, they sell, in total per annum, uh, it's 7.7 .7 billion strips per year in consumption. Okay, so that's just in sales for the, for the market landscape. That's 8.7 square kilometers per minute of material waste that's produced to cover that, to service that market. If you added, if you laid all that out flat, that would cover 50% of the American landscape in 12 months. That is that's comprehensible. That's a plaster. That's a little strip that's got microplastics, everything else in it. It's got other plastic components that sit side by side. So if you work out the size mass, then you multiply it by the number of units they make. That's what the numbers are like. So in two years, you cover America? Yeah. Well, in one year, covering 50% of the landscape. It's basically, the only country that sort of doesn't fall like that is because Australia is so sparse and we have a lot yes. of big populations in yep. cities. But a lot of the countries that we're dealing with is, would cover 50% of their landscape on annual consumption. It's huge. That's scary, hey? That is uh, and this is just number. a plaster, right? So that's just a thin film of material that would be laid out across the landscape. That's what it would cover. So that's the point that it makes us really hone in on what we're doing now, day in, day out. We've just made a shift and we're doing a shift as far as even on our carton packaging. Mm. Um, we made the call to remove plastic tape. Now one box that we put into a container uses 3.6 meters of plastic tape. Yeah, right. Uh, there's 1,257 of those boxes that go into a container. So you multiply 3.6 by 1,257 by the width, and you've got a serious amount of waste. So we've made the conscious step to actually make that eradicate, and we've now gone to a paper type solution. Little things like that that we keep on refining what we're doing, um, focusing on what the end goal is and where it's going to go, um, is ultimately what we're trying to do with everything that we do. So if we can eradicate markets and shift mindsets around what people use and what people use as wastage. We haven't got a product just for that 25% anymore. It's a product for the 100% of the market, wherever we go. We just need to tap the 100% of the market and make them realize that we have got a solution that can help them and help, help the environment at the same time. That, that's a, a question I was actually getting to is, your product is very much aimed at the zero wasters, the eco-conscious, yeah. which is fantastic. We needed an alternative yeah. in this category. Um, and we need one for every category, like you said. Mm. But I wonder how Patch will come across to the non-converted or those who are sort of not as aware as the eco-conscious consumers mm. are. What sort of impact do you guys think you'll have on them? Um, we still want to be in every household wherever we go. So we want to get to every household in America. We want to get to every household in Australia. Um, and that's where our product suite will expand as far as what we've got as far as offerings. Uh, we don't want to just make wasted products on the shelf that have a similar conscious step to another product. We don't want to have that debate. We otherwise we're sitting in a price war. At the moment, our product um, is sitting at seven ninety nine for twenty five strips. We measured twenty five strips to be a roughly about a household use per annum. So lo and behold, we found out we're actually using more than that. So we've actually we're working on numbers now to try and work with our volume so that it becomes a 
we need the repetition purchase for the, for the consumer to buy it off the shelf, keep the retailers happy, but we don't want to create waste by pr- producing more tubes and more product where it's not needed as well. Um, so we try and measure all of that all the way through. Um, the hardest part is a lot of the, I hate saying this, but a lot of the health food uh, channels, a lot of the retail grocery channels, a lot of pharmacy channels. When it comes down to the eco debate, it is not into it. Mm. And even the health food stores aren't into it. Really? It's more about margin and, and how they support because as a business owner, you're thinking about how do I survive and mm-hmm. how do I pay my staff right. and how do I put money and how do I make money myself. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are in it for that purpose. Um, whereas you go out of the cities and you look into other regional areas and you've got some real, real true eco-focused businesses that are really living and breathing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not really about that money drive or that percentage grab. Um, so we're in a position right now whereby we're trying to educate these pharmacy buyers, especially in Australia, that it doesn't need to be plastic on the shelf in this category, but there's also two, we can help 25% of the category you don't have because people just react and they don't buy it again. And we've got a solution now that everyone's asking for and how do we make you more aware about what impact this has got. But guys, there's actually a really good social and PR strategy behind you stocking our products. Mm. It's because you can tell people that you care. You care for the environment, you care for the customer. So that's the deba- that's the constant push that we're having at the moment. It's like it's a, it's a challenge in certain markets around the world. Um, overseas in Europe, we won Eco Product of the Year, new lifestyle product for the London and European uh, health natural health food show. We won the product of the year in uh, the next year awards in the US. Australia doesn't really have a product of the year in the natural space, um, but we've just been told we're in the finals for um, the Toxic Free Awards, which is should be hopefully an amazing step forward, forward for us. Um, and the brand, it's just about educating that mass market that there's actually a solution there that's not gonna hurt them to stock it, but it's also gonna give their customers more choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right, we are after everybody and how do we tap to everybody? We're just gonna be really strong and being disruptive and and, and being disruptive in a commercial way towards the, consu- the full full consumer, not just one segment of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, if you can tap into that market and replace all the plasters in the world, I mean, I'd love the, that. The, 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 the impact would just be astounding. As, yeah. as you've said, the figures are just scary. So I'm t- I'm fascinated. You you really are thinking about sustainability, the sustainability of the product, from the design, the, the materials you're using, to the shipping. That's really progressive, yeah. uh, and and you're doing it an incremental approach yep. as you as you look at the product and you expand your line. Are there any other examples where you've considered like the sustainability element in, in patch? Um, well, we we do it in the, the production process to the bamboo fiber, which is in the very very early stages, all the way through to where we get it to to um, DCs and get it distributed out to the retailers. So. We can't control that point of distribution and that you know the transport model. That's probably the that's probably the most you know, negative part of the business now that we've got to look into the future of how we partner with the right transport groups that can actually help make that change. But that'll come. That'll happen over time. We're not an expert at everything, and we've we've done a pretty good job thus far to get the product to that refined level within a very short period of time of being on shelf. Um, so we're very, very proud of that. Um, but it's it's really about how do you keep on looking and assessing and refining what you do? That's what we've got to stay in front of it. Um, and I think if you start and take on too much at once uh, without the focus on your, your core goal, if you take on way too much, you're never gonna be good at that one core goal. We're better focusing on that and making that the number one priority and then just do things along the way to make things run better. So mm. tuning a car or or uh, you know, changing gear on a on a push bike. You know, mm. you, you've got a you've got a great piece of road in front of you. And you're pedalling like crazy, doing one gear. Or well, you can always flick a gear and go up, and it kicks into gear. Sometimes you have to go down again. So it's just about that process to actually concentrate on. Always think about what we're doing ten steps in front, but focus on our core goal. Mm. I mean, you can't be perfect. Uh, from perfect from a carbon perspective no. uh, from the get-go but you're right incremental changes and improvements over time yeah. and and you can get get towards that goal but I mm. guess the, the point is you guys are making these considerations you you are adapting you are changing and that's really exciting it's mm. from a consumer perspective to see the product to hear the things that you're doing I think that's fantastic no, thank you 
One little question I want to ask James before I wrap up this section is all those years ago when your son had the skin sensitivity you could have put some tissue on it with a little bit of tape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you did, there you go. But you Honestly, could have stopped there. You could have stopped there and have. said, that's um, it. I don't need to do yeah. anything more. But you went and you you created a startup to tackle this huge single waste generated industry. Why? Yeah. Um, because it was when you've got your son crying and you're holding him and you're trying to rip your skin off. Um, I just, I, at the time, if I was if I was still working, I probably would have gone to try and find something else and put it on his skin and it might have worked, it might not have worked and we would have moved on, it probably would have healed over and you know that was that, right? Because it would have been focused on something else but for some reason everything was lining up for that to happen and it happened and it was more so the fact that you know it was a solution for him, yes, but I wasn't going to produce, go and produce one single strip for him. Uh, it was really the trigger point to see how many people actually had the similar thing to him. I thought, well, hang on, there's a business with a purpose here. There's a mission behind what we can do. Um, and that's when we developed NutriCare as the parent company pretty much in the early, early days because I thought, well, hang on, if we bring out one product, we can bring out more. Um, how big do we want to make this solution? We could go after one market or go after many. And that's when we sort of, I think there was the seeding back then. It was like literally, okay, well, yes, there's a market. Yes, there's a problem. How do we fix it? And at the time, I tried. I'd literally tried everything off the shelf in the pharmacy, and everything caused an irritation on his. He was itching it, or it was like a red rash. Um, and then the more people we spoke to, the more common it was. So it was just the numbers part of my 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 headspace that I could start seeing there was a big solution there. So um, at the time, it wasn't thinking about using what we're using as far as the materials that we tried the bamboo fibres initially, um, and almost scrapped it. I almost went down the path of saying, no, we're not going to do it. Um, but we went to, you know, I can't say how many factories. It would have been probably easy over 20, 20, 26 factories all over, all over Asia trying to find someone who could actually take my concept and turn it into a, a prototype. Wow. Um, my prototype into a commercial prototype. And I thought I was ready to give up. But we just sort of didn't, we just kept on going. We thought there was going to be someone there, there's going to be some, some way of doing it. And fortunately enough, we've, we've secured a very strong and long partnership with, with our manufacturer. Um, we use the bamboo source because it's in China. It grows readily available over there. It's actually the eco-cert sort of um, component that we need. Uh, but we're not, we're not allowed to use, uh, we're not an organic certified product even though we're using organic components because we, there's no category for us when it comes down to yeah. uh, the, the various different segments. So no organic aid, wound care category. <laughs> no, well, there's no, there's no first aid segment for them. And same thing with cruelty-free. There's no first aid segment for right. cruelty-free. So if they had categories, I'd be... You guys would tickle the You're breaking the, the system. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Unfortunately, I, I'm not going to put the capital into opening a category up that they want to yeah. have a category to sit there and it'd be the only product sitting there and it costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars to do so, and then it, all I have to do is pass it back to the consumer. So it's gonna be less sales, doesn't matter that much, no it doesn't, if we're honest, we're open and transparent with the brand and the products and what we do, the consumer's gonna find out about that anyway, and we'll just have a product that sits here with the natural tag on it rather than the organic tag on it, and that's, yeah. that's the way the market works. Yeah. Um, same thing with the class two device, if I wanna to go to a, a higher registered device and make claims. I can make lots of claims about our components, but if I did do that, it means I go to a very, very high level registration per product, which means that it just pushes back on the consumer. Mm. Mm. And we want to have it so it's accessible for as many people as possible. Um, that's why we're going through a whole price strategy at the moment for a global level to actually reduce the price in Australia to make it more appealing, more achievable for many, a lot more families. Very cool. I mean, I guess Lyle's point is like, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't have taken that extra step to start the business and actually create something out of it. So it's great that it happened in a way because yeah. it's you know it happened at the right time to the right person. So that's pretty cool that we end up with this this amazing product. I think as if you result. take one good idea and you put it into action, any time in your life, I think it's I think it's sometimes a good thing to do. Absolutely. Try it. 
So now you've you mentioned uh, NutriCare before, so I'm keen to, and maybe it's it's worth just quickly summarizing. We've been talking about plasters this entire time, compostable plasters that weren't initially compostable, but over time you've created, uh, sorry, the, the outer cover wasn't compostable, it was biodegradable, but you've moved to a compostable yeah. component, so you, it, there's been this evolution. And uh, part of your sort of future evolution is to uh, expand and, and to do other things, but that's all going to be under the umbrella of this Nutri, NutriCare company. Yeah, that's right. So maybe tell us a little bit about NutriCare, what it, what is it and what's the vision? Um, the whole purpose behind NutriCare was really, it came about when I was developing Patch and we worked out Patch's brand name at the time and we're thinking, okay, what do we register this? It's business? a great brand name, yeah, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, we registered the brand and we go, oh, this is fantastic. And then we started, okay, well, can we trademark it? And all of a sudden, yes, we can. So we started trademarking this brand. Um, and then we thought, oh, you know, if we do first aid and we've got my wife's doing other products in other categories. I thought, why, why don't we think about what else we can do for the future and why the way we refine and engineer things? And I thought, well, why don't we, why don't we, you know, when I just went on, I went on to, where was it? I went on to Google and I went on to, I think I went on to GoDaddy at the time <laughs> and I searched to see if I could find a name that would make people understand that we care for the, uh, they care for you and they care, we care for the environment. So we, we care, we create naturally is our tagline behind NutriCare. Um, so it's really Nutri as in nutrient and then care. So, but believe it or not, those two, that word was available. Been used, wow. um, and it was trademarkable and we pushed the go button and sure enough, we got the pass, we got it trademarked, registered. And I just still, I still kick myself today to work out how that sort of happened, but it, <laughs> it has, right? So it was meant to be. Um, and NutriCare was really founded as a, as a parent company to house research and development and other products and other categories and let the brands have their personalities underneath it um, and become that trusted brand that people can put in their house and they can buy in multiple different categories and it might be in your kitchen, it might be in your bathroom, it might be in your baby room. And it might so, be nutrients and it might be care, it might be whatever. It might be just Who knows cool. where it will go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, NutriCare is formed in that format. Um, and then from that, we've made a conscious decision about structuring the business in a way that um, we're focused on um, empowering our staff, making sure that people enjoy coming to work, um, building brands and having fun with the brands. I don't want to have a stale or stagnant environment. I want, to, I want to empower people to actually learn and grow with their role as well, so they don't want to leave. Mm. Uh, I've got that with everybody that's in the business now. It's, it's really, really solid and strong. Um, and we're now looking at that next phase of putting more people on to, to do that. Um, but it's really concentrating on your mission. And we, we went through the process of, of B Corp uh, status, whereby we got invited to become a B Corp um, on a global B Corp level, uh, which is, you know, brands like Patagonia and Ben and & Jerry's and all these wild big brands around the world. Super cool. Um, and uh, there's uh, the total total number is about 2,800 uh, companies in the world now, just under 2,800 companies. Uh, there's 150 industries and 64 countries that B Corp operate in now. Um, and basically it's a, it's a new kind of business um, around the world whereby it, it balances purpose and profit. Um, so, you know, it's it, it's nice to have a business that makes lots of money and you can be rich and you sit up on your hill and and you live life on your own and all that sort of thing, but why don't create a business with a purpose uh, and, share, and basically it's an open book. So you've got empowerment behind the staff, you concentrate on the salaries and the way we employ um, manufacturing staff to the way we choose our distributors and our partners on retail. So it's a lot more than just a little stamp that runs on the on the side of on the business. It makes us legally bound by that too. Um, so from from our side, when it comes down to the community that we build with NutriCare, it puts it puts us in a in a, a new global movement that's sort of using business and um, and the people to drive force for good. Um, and from my side with um, becoming B Corp is probably one of, my, one of my proudest stamps that we've been able to get, even more so than the TGA or the, <laughs> the FDA stamp. But by doing the B Corp movement, um, you become empowered, it should empower the staff behind the business as well to realise that we care about them. Um, it's not just about us making profit and, and running away, and they work their houses off for Monday to Friday and not make any more than a, their wage. 
It's about what do we do for them and how we make the business grow. So I want to empower people to come to us. I want to make sure that we've got the right policies and procedures that make sure that the brand, that we, then when you rock up to our, our business, you don't want to leave. Mm. And that's ultimately, we can build a, a, a brand with purpose like that with NutriCare, it won't matter what we do. Um, the products will flow, the business will grow and- You'll attract the right talent. that sounds a bit punny there, but yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> the, you know, and it's all about that. It's yeah. about bringing the right people together. It's building your, we're in a tricky stage at the moment with the growth of the business trying to find the resources. Mm. But what we find in the US, in our US office is, the US office is getting some amazing people coming to it because we're B Corp. Yeah. It's a lot more followed over there than what it is here. Mm. Um, uh, and it's tricky for retail, it's tricky for manufacturers and also tricky for retailers in Australia because I think I think the whole retail landscape in this country is really messed up. Mm. I think that, I know that a lot of people are probably gonna cringe at me for saying this, but from coming from, from my own personal opinion of looking at different landscapes, um, I feel like the the retail's got so much pressure because of the cost of opening a store. Mm. So the rentals, rents are up, staffing costs are up, no one's performance driven. Um, they've really- Prices everyone's, are down. Everything's got, <laughs> everything's got really easy. But that yeah. what that does, the retailer has to push back on the brands they stock. But then they squeeze the brand so hard so the manufacturers don't end up making good quality products anymore because they cut corners because the pressure's on from the top down. Mm. That's where you get cost cutting coming into products that end up on the shelf and that's why the utilization of plastics is there, utilization of- It's cheap. It's cheaper materials, it's cheaper to package, it's cheaper to get it on the shelf and transport and all that thing. So the the result is, is it really needs to happen from the mid-tier and shared out from both sides. The more companies get behind the B Corp movement and focus on profit and focus on sustainable growth for the business for, for both the staff, the customers, and also to themselves. The more that actually get behind that movement, the better it will be. But it's just gonna take time. Yeah. You know? Did you see that Aldi's got a little zero waste section going on? Yeah, yeah. I, I think Aldi and Lidl is another one over in Europe which are, are very focused on, um, you know, it, it's just everywhere overseas. Mm. We are so far behind here, yeah, it's not funny. Are. Like even, from Aldi's side, that would be something they've already been doing over, over there for six months. Yeah, probably. 12 months. Yeah. And they're doing very well with it because you walk into the store and you feel like there's an organic section, there's a zero waste section, mm. but it's the perception of what the stores do and how they work and they're bringing, th- bringing solutions into retail. So they're at least making a change. But the big boys have got to you know, look into what they're doing as well. It's not just all about the overseas partners that come in because everyone thinks they're doing dodging taxes and things like that. Whereas you look at the other big boys that should be adopting those changes as well. And it doesn't get filtered down that often. It's interesting because I think the market's going to naturally see pressure. When you look at the growth of like the source, I don't know if you've seen the source, which is a basically a bulk store. You can go and buy your zero waste groceries there. Um, And that's a, it's a chain and it's just growing really, really fast in Australia. And I think those sorts of things are going to start putting pressure on traditional retailers. So it's unwrapped plastic, um, non-plastic wrapped vegetables and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's massive movement like that over in the UK as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think Waitrose has got a whole big section. open up their own uh, yeah. bulk section in a few of their stores around yeah, the, you can the go UK. Yeah, fill up your olive oil there and whatever. They're trialing it. Hopefully yeah. it'll go viral though. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure it will. Yeah. It will, it will just take time. The, move, the movement's mm. so big now. But if you look at the size of that movement, that movement's also to potentially my, my traffic and my buyers of that at the, at the initial yeah, phase. Yeah, exactly. It's- um, so from our side, it's like, okay, well, we're doing everything right in producing a product. By the, by the way, that's the only vegan friendly wound care dressing in the world. I hate to tell any vegan in the world that. Because glue's got, yeah. Animal derivatives in it. Yeah, Is right? that right? I didn't know that. Mm, yeah. yeah I so not only are we making it from bamboo fiber, we're the only product that's actually vegan friendly. Because the glue's got bones. Wow. Is it bones? It's like, it's gelatin, right? It's gelatin, gelatin. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gee, I didn't know that. So there's componentry and there's a lot of products in the marketplace that they, person who's the, you know, the person who's a, um, you know, animal lover and, not all of them are animal lovers as well. They're, some of them are, are vegan just because of choice of diet and, and, and that's the way they want to live. So, or carbon, yeah. <laughs> so, but that's the, that's the modeling behind it. So the, um, the, the scary part is, is that I can guarantee probably 80% of those vegans in the world are probably using a, a, an animal derivative product on their skin when they, when they get hurt. So yeah. it's a big movement, it's massive. It There's is. huge, huge shifts and trends on, 
on what's happening around the world with that space. And now you, you plan to introduce new products and you were telling us a little bit before the podcast about some exciting initiatives and behind the scenes stuff that you were doing today. Yep. Can you share any no. of the... No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Um, sorry, yeah, listeners. No. <laughs> uh, but there, there's, there's a lot more expansion coming behind Nutricare in the range of patch for one. Um, uh, also incorporating, we're going to producing... Um, some extra things that will go on the shelf to <laughs> complement what we're doing as well to make it more of a category for us. Yeah, cool. Uh, because in a lot of health food stores, there's no first aid category. There's first aid topical ointments and creams, um, like arnicas and things like that, as far as on the on the shelf for bruises and tea trees and things like that. But there's no wound covering. So what we're trying to do is educate the retailers that we are the a, a, a health food stream because or health food stores dream because there's nothing there yeah and we're giving you a fresh category to work with so we want to build the whole category out so we've got um spots we've got express little emergency packet packs of four so they're nice and convenient uh, and we've got the tubes of patch strips and then we're doing a larger format patch very cool uh and then something that fits into a category next to it but <laughs> tbd can't say too much. tbd <laughs> yep uh but yeah no it's that's the exciting part with patch and and the new little future side spin. Um, but other categories that we're going after and we're looking or we're doing a lot of R&D and work in right now are spread throughout the retail landscape. Very so cool. even into, um, I won't say too much. <laughs> Stay, <laughs> no, totally tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I would love it if you could one day, please, take on the hospital market. Lau had surgery in December and I was just horrified. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Horrified to see the plastic, the volume of unnecessary oh, plastic. Like yeah. I get, sometimes it has to be sterile, yeah. but well, every day he yeah. got a new little like pillbox every yeah. single day. And so this is the thing, right? So a lot of hospital, uh, we're working with hospital overseas at the moment in South, one of the Southeast Asian countries with, with Patch and what we're doing with there and doing... Um, post-operative surgery, um, adhesion components and things like that. But a lot of the things at, at hospital, it has to be incinerated. So they'll burn whatever that's there. Oh, and right. they, they don't throw it in the material waste, it gets burnt. Mm. So then they use the, the, the smoke and the toxins that they burn into, basically it goes into like an oil bank. So Ew. there's dirt, certain things that they do do which are good, but you're still producing gases from burning down plastic waste. Yeah, still mm. can't be um, so the best solution. If we can produce hospital grade solutions in the same format, which are wax sealed like what we've got now, then we're in a, we're in a really good space. Um, so in the space of patches, like it's going outside of just being in health food and grocery and pharma now, uh, we're going, we're in hotel rooms, in VIP hotel rooms at certain resorts where uh, going onto cruise ships over America, we have private private jets in America and all sorts of stuff that's going cool. to um, that aren't eco-focused. But at least if we're trying to, if we get them out right into those environments, it's just one more piece of education that we can get out there. Yeah, so we might have that product that just ends up going everywhere that helps people think about this little, you know, the eco-benefit behind what we do. So. That's why I like the commercial aspect of what we do. And the, the whole focus initially was really about fixing the problem. Yeah. But by doing that problem fix, we've been able to get it everywhere. Because what business can afford to have a, a customer um, uh, have a reaction to a product that they get out of their staff cupboard and put it on their skin because they cut their hand on the door or like that. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome to have that sort of type of pull. Totally. Now you're clearly a convert to the whole sort of B Corp mission-based business idea. Mm. What do you think the role of that type of business is in this era where we, that we're going into now, which is sort of huge change is needed and really fast? Uh, how, how do you think the role of business can contribute to that? Um, I think the role of business can contribute a lot. I think I think it's one of those things. You, anything you try and do fast is being uh, reactive, and I don't like being reactive. I think I think you've got to be responsive behind thinking about the process of what you're doing. Um, I think any business that reacts to these solutions or these movements isn't got the, the true efficacy behind what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a media grab or it's a spin-off, it's a media spin to, to make them look better. Greenwashing? Not gre- I, the greenwashing is an interesting way of describing things. I'm, I'm not a... There's greenwash and there's probably greenwash, really. There's yeah. a lot of things like there's a lot of brands out there that, yeah, they're trying to, and it's a stigma behind it's a tag name that people are putting on things. But I think that 
you've got brands that are trying to be really honest and transparent. You've got brands that are full of bullshit mm. and people, pardon my pun, I hope you No, you can be honest. Sure. Uh, but it's, it, you, you can read, like the customers aren't stupid. All that happens is they look like they're a bunch of idiots. Mm, and yeah. if you look like an idiot to your customers, guess what? They shift. Uh, and they'll shift for good. They'll never come back if they've been burnt. So the idea is, is that you've got to be, a, a, you know, the more businesses that can become, to mind you, to get B Corp certified, it's a 12-month process now. It's, huge a, lot of assessment, re- it's yeah. a huge assessment process. There's interviews, there's exams. Um, and, but it was one of the best, best things that I went through because it actually made me stop and reassess what I'm doing in the business and what I'm not doing right. And it took me a little bit of time to actually do that exam because a lot of things were actually stopped and we said, hey, we haven't got that in place, we should be doing that. So we actually wrote it while we were doing the process of the exam and actually applied it. So it was actually an amazing way of doing things. So um, I don't know whether B Corp would like me saying that, but it actually made me really stop and make sure we were applying what we're looking at on the screen for, are you doing this or are you doing that? So. I guess what I'm getting at with that question about the role of business is more along the lines of, you know, you say you really enjoy the commercial side of it and, you know, using the commercial model to drive something that's really good Mm. is, to me, replacing something that's bad. You know, it's becoming a substitute for something that would previously be negative towards the environment. So the role of business um, in the, the way that I'm trying to get to is is that it can be a real force for good, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, the, the force for good for me is the ability for us to have the, the brand's gotta be, look, at the end of the day, you've got stakeholders, you've gotta be profitable, mm-hmm. okay? So if you're on the right path and you're becoming profitable for your stakeholders and your employees are enjoying what they're doing, it's a good environment, we're actually doing ethical things for the environment, we're tick, tick, tick. But at the end of the day, the whole driver for me was fixing the problem. And even if you put all of the eco things in front of me right now, it's still about that one in four people have got no solution. And that one in four person is a, you know, the child or, you know, grandparents or people with aged skin types, glassy skin types, cannot wear adhesives on the skin at all. All right. We've had zero problem with that product. Mm. Patch has had no issues with the aged skin types anywhere we've trialed it. I had it on my 99 year old grandfather before he passed away. And he was using the product with no tearing of his skin. But it shows that the brand can support not just not one just sector of the market, but it's like kids to adults to elderly. That's not in the 25%, the elderly. Right. It's another 16% of most populations. Like in, in Australia, 16% of our population is elderly or in nursing homes with palliative care, and they cannot wear adhesives on the skin. Mm-hmm. Well, the majority of them can't wear adhesives on the skin. So our product is creating a solution for that. Yeah. So if we're solution driven and we're mission driven and we're focused on what we're, what our impact is, I think anything that we do, whether it doesn't matter if we're making $100 million a month, the whole business is growing in the right format and sharing it out for everybody to, to get some reward out of it. Uh, but the ultimate thing for me is we just did a, um, we just did a donation to Haiti uh, because we can donate these tubes and I'm not worried about the plastic landfill that's going to end up in on the ground in Haiti. Which uh, they have a lot of plastic there already, right? If you have a look at it, a very close friend of mine, Phil Lay, he runs a a group called Retail Global and they've got a charity side to it, which is Retail ROI, that supports uh, charitable community building efforts in Haiti. And what they do is 100% of the money they raise goes to the group. They've set up a, uh, they set up a hospital, they've set up a school and they're rebirthing a school and they've um, set up a, a garden growth patch area whereby, pardon me, that's not patch, patch but perhaps like <laughs> vegetable patch area. They've done two soil turns of, and they're growing melons and they're growing um, different fruits and, and now allowing the people to actually have a purpose. So he's actually setting his community up and we know that the money go, raised goes to there. So we just did a donation of 10,000 tubes into Haiti to give to the kids and the family so that at least if they do, because the disease is really bad too, by the way. It's like they'll get a little nick or a cut and they'll get infected from the waterways and then all of a sudden they're, they're sick. Such a simple It's a little thing. small thing, but can actually make a big impact. Mm. But I don't care what happens, even if they don't understand about waste, and 90% of the waste problem in the world is about people aren't educated about what to do with that. Yeah. So if they, don't, if they don't know what to do with it and they just throw it on the ground, I know it's not gonna have an impact. You can rest easy. Yeah. So I'm not dropping a bunch of, you know, two shipping containers full of plastic water bottles in there 
and worry about them, what they're going to do with them. It's a conscious decision that we can actually help people around the world. Yeah. Um, and frankly, every business should be considering the end of life of their product and how it's going to impact you know, down the line. If everyone did, we wouldn't be talking about We wouldn't be having this conversation, right? right? Yeah. 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 Um, and that's the whole point. We want to get to that neutral state that we don't have to have those topical conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much good natural stuff out there. Like, this, like chefs are doing amazing things with raw food now. That's just phenomenal. Like you would be thinking you're eating something completely different, and but it's, what it's done is it pushed that whole movement into thinking about outside the square and what can we do from grassroots. It's stripping back all of the components we've refined and built into a commercial world and gone. Nah, let's leave that aside. And what do we let's try and start something fresh and be creative with it? Because people go wow. And the moment they go wow, they've got a connection. They've got an emotional connection to you or to your product. So if they do it. Someone buys that and they put it on their skin and, they, and I know that they rub it when they put it on, they, they go, that feels great. That's an emotional connection that I've had with that, con- that customer that makes me feel good because you know, it's, it's hitting the full market. But if we can consciously think about those steps along the way and actually supporting charity and, and giving back wherever we can to make the brand grow, no one's going to care what, we've, what we're doing as long as we're doing it in the right format. Mm. I think you make an interesting point and I can draw a comparison with, say, Patagonia. They mm. make fantastic clothes. Mm. That's their goal. They make wonderfully warm, durable jackets, coats, whatever. Mm. But they also just happen to be an incredibly sustainable company that have looked at their supply chain point to point and are doing amazing things. Yeah. But I think in order for a business to succeed, really, your product first and foremost has got to do its job and it's got mm. to do its job against competitors really well yeah and then on top of that you look at the aspects on how you tackle sustainability and mm. and ensuring your business is um is as environmentally friendly as possible mm. you guys are obviously growing at an incredible rate mm. i think i saw a stat as well something like over 400 percent year in year which is incredible mm. have you got anything that's coming up maybe the second half of this year or next year that's exciting that you can talk about. Yeah, it's fine um, if you can't though, completely um, understand. Well, across the US from, uh, from our, when we won the award in the US, um, we, uh, we held back in, in launching into the US market, um, but from Expo West, which was in March, I think it was March, the first week of March. First week of March up until pretty much this week, last week timeframe, uh, we've got close to about 16,000 retailers about to stock patch by the end of this year. Sure. So it's massive growth. So it's fueling a lot of development. It's fueling a lot of research of what we're doing and what we have, what other things we can do with the brand. Um, and you know, there's a few things that are coming in from the American way of doing things too that are actually starting to rub off and actually think about other categories pretty quickly as well. Um, but we want to tackle, we want to go further more into oral hygiene, we want to go into feminine hygiene, we want to go into, um, you know, there's other areas of categories of supermarket that just, there's too much competition that you don't need to have another product just to try and shape it. But whatever I do with any brand that we bring out from neutral care, it's not going to replicate something, it's going to make a category better. So we have to have a full purpose for change, otherwise you're creating more waste and it sits on the shelf and clutters it up and there's just another brand and we don't do things the right way. But if we do something, then we can actually lift or change or add value to a category uh, for the consumer, number one, um, because they, they're the ones driving my growth. Um, the retailers are a fight once you're trying to get in the door and trying to stay there. But I think if the consumers realize that Nutrik is building in that format and what we're doing is we're always trying to make things better in a, in a, for, in a cluttered space and a high volume space that we can make it a lot, lot cleaner for the environment, cleaner for, for the consumer and we do it better. Um, that's always what we're going to grow with. So I can't talk too much, but we have <laughs> sure. got, uh, our focus is all about that space. So we don't want to give up. If you had to impart one message to anyone out there who wants to create their own mission-based startup, like NutriCare, what would it be? Realize the challenge you're going to take yourself on. And if you start it, you don't stop it. You've got to go for it like dog, like a dog at a bone. You've got to basically go hell for leather at that at that mission, that goal where you want to get to and don't take your eyes off it. Because literally if you've got the right, if everything lines up and gets to that point whereby you've made the decision, you're going to go out and jump off the deep end and try and swim, 
Uh, just make sure you paddle like crazy to actually get to the first little point that you actually can breathe, and um, and then stick with it. Because I've got plenty of plenty of hits on all the way to. You could easily give it up along the way, mm-hmm. but I think if you can keep on focusing on your end goal to where you want to get to, that's that's ultimately where everybody wants to hear about. But there's no roadmap. I think the road, you know, the best best advice I can give is just literally don't give up. That's the goal. Way easier said than done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gotta have um, that grit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's challenging to, to to say that, but it's that's the that's the most honest advice you can get. Um, it's not an easy road. It's like it might have like we're in 19 months. We've hit 35 countries with massive growth uptake, but there's still pressures on all sides of that too. So. Mm. Uh, Growth com- is not easy in itself, right? No, I mean, look, we're talking. I'm now how many years into this business now? Four years. So, 2000, December 2015 is when all this happened. Started with Charlie. Till now, I haven't taken a wage. Oh yeah. And I'm running a family with two kids, and we haven't taken a wage out of the business, and it's still the pressure's on, you know. Mm-hmm. But if I'm taking a wage out of the business and putting it in my pocket. I can't resource a really amazing team around me to actually win the win the game. So it's like a football mentality. You can go and put all your money on one player and not have a team. Or you can bring a team together, a team of people together, equalise everything to make sure everyone's on the same path and grow the growth of the brand together. You're going to win championships and, you know, it's going to win for everybody. So that's ultimately where I'm at at the moment. So it's like it's not an easy challenge. You've got to be committed and... No investor or putting money into any business is what I want to see that you're taking a wage out of it. So mm-hmm. you've got to be prepared financially and mentally to do it. Otherwise, stay private and grow it with your goal. Mm-hmm. They're the two bits of advice, I'd probably say. Top scary, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah very scary. Yeah. Top sustainable living tip for everyone out there. Look into things and do things better yourself. Um, whether a brand's promising you one thing or another, Fine brands have actually got a really solid mission behind what they're doing from the core. Um, it's still more research for everybody, but it's uh, there's certain things in the market that I'm not a big fan of um, that are in the eco space that are, I think they're a little bit trendy as opposed to being too really purpose driven. And I just keep the research out. Everyone's smart enough to do their own research and find the brands that work and, and work for them. Um, I think the if they're, they're conscious about what they're buying these days, it's always going to be, you know, and everything's so different. There's so much variety out there as well. It's sort of reading between the buzzwords and the and the hype sometimes to find the cool stuff that's not commercially available and on cool platforms like Grove and uh, platforms that are sort of unique and, and trending in the space of being non-toxics and, and that sort of thing. There's heaps of stuff out there at the moment that's really cool. My tip would be just do your research and and go with brands that you can believe in. Finally, where can people buy patch? Where can people follow along NutriCare's developments and products that are coming up? Yep. Socials, website. Yeah, so uh, start from the long list. Uh, <laughs> well, of um, course, we'll include all of this in our show notes. Yeah, so um, effectively NutriCare is our website is at nutricare.co. So you can find out all of our mission and all of our sustainable focus is on, on our main website. We've then got Instagram handles and Facebook pages for that as well, which is under Instagram. Uh, sorry, under Instagram is NutriCareCo and Facebook is NutriCare. Under uh, our product pages and, and where we're sort of seeing out with Patch, so patches under patchstrips.com. You can find stockers on there, you can buy it online as well. Um, but once again, the Instagram handles, Facebook handles and Twitter on that one is patchstrips. And you can go to any of those to find out more about followers and please join the love and share, share the journey. And then from the retail perspective, we're now nationally available at Woolworths in Australia, which is really exciting for the Australian population. Uh, we're in Holland and Barrett and uh, Superdrug in the UK to uh, various different health food stores across South Africa growing every day now for my last couple of weeks. Uh, as, as I said, it's probably the best thing is to probably look at the website and find out where, yeah. we, where we do stock. Um, some other exciting news in Australia is Coles have, uh, have now earmarked the product, so we might be seeing it on the Coles shelves towards the end of the year. Um, in the US, have you got any big stockists there? Yeah, US is pretty scary. All right. <laughs> uh, US is on a big scale, um, but it ranges from some pretty amazing support through 
big groups such as CVS, um, where uh, Sprouts and uh, Whole Foods are talking to us at the moment. We've got Target uh, talking to us. Um, there's close to 15,000 stores that have been already basically getting loaded at the moment. Wow, that's massive. Uh, with more coming through by the end of this year. So it's in America, it's nuts. <laughs> you guys <laughs> keep up with the demand. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? So this is one of the typical pain points. So judging, jumping back to your pain points is that, yeah, you might have this explosion of sales. Still got to make the product. You still got to take yeah. the production time into it and work out how you're going to fund that. Get the logistics going. And that's when those sort of explosions happen. And you're not ready for them. That you've got to be ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're breaking points of a business. Now you can have a really cool product, a really cool brand that takes off like crazy, and then you've got no money, financial support to supply it. So mm-hmm. then what happens is the holes fall in the supply chain, and then the customers lose interest because they can't buy it anywhere, and then it drops off the market. So yeah. there's heaps mm-hmm. of those stories. There's massive amounts of those. Yeah. So it's learning how to put the foot on the brake. Have you met uh, Ben Young, the founder of Frank Green, the reusable coffee mugs? No, he's, I haven't met. No. He's, a, he's an entrepreneur from Melbourne as well. Yep. He's also just moved to the US to get things going there. Okay. And, and also is like very similar story. In like we had him on our podcast yeah, oh, a, very good, like a few ago, months yeah. ago. He has a parallel story to you in that he's yeah. like trying to deal with this like huge growth in the US coming from like a, a small base in this uh, yeah, massive, massive market in the US and, and a different market, there's different ways of doing things. Anyway, my point is you guys can create a, a support group. <laughs> get, his, get, his, get his bum into uh, B Corp. Yeah, yeah, actually and take I the, take the pleas for him. It's, um, it's definitely worthwhile. And now the fact is in the US we've been, I've been invited onto the Climate Collaborative and also to the American Sustainable Business Council. Oh, cool. Um, to help understand further more about what products issues uh, companies are having with building products, to um, to ways that you, you know groups can lobby towards Congress and and shape shift change in categories in the industry. Yeah, right. To get these type of products in there, and that's what sort of comes about. So that's where we're at with. Um, our movement, but getting to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. James, thank you so much. Thank you we really much appreciate you coming on the show, spending the time with us, and we wish you guys continued success for the rest of this year and beyond. And we're going to be following along the, uh, the confidential <laughs> products <laughs> coming up. We'll 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 maybe maybe con- I might give you a little sneak at a couple of them as we bring them through, right? So. We will definitely <laughs> be customers, yeah, lifetime customers, as we already have been. We will continue to be no, customers. Fantastic. We really do appreciate the support and thank you for, for having us today. No worries. Thank cool. you. Thank you, All Ian. Right. So there you go. Yet another weird but wonderful illustration of how things are changing for the better. We are so excited to hear about innovations like patch strips and would love to hear what you think. Are you consciously making the switch to more natural and sustainable alternatives? As always, thank you for listening and we will see you next time.